This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we got a special guest on the podcast. Her name is Lauren Davis. She is running for Dallas County Judge in Dallas, Texas. This is not actually a judicial position, even though the name might suggest that. This is essentially the position of the top executive of Dallas County. So she's running against the incumbent, Clay Jenkins. And so I actually met her at the world premiere for Uncle Tom 2 down in Dallas, you know, about a month and a half ago or something like that. And it was very, very interesting to me because as I met her, it's like, okay, she's clearly just a real person, just a normal person. She's a mom. She's a business owner. She's those types of things. But then there were things that were happening in Dallas County specifically because of Clay Jenkins that she said, no, this is, this is not just unfortunate. This is inappropriate. I'm going to do something about it. But she went farther than what a lot of people would normally do. Cause some people would just, you know, scream online or, you know, complain to their friends or maybe put a sign in their yard or, or maybe support some random candidate. No, she decided to run for office to get this guy out of there. So just a regular gal that, you know, is, you know, uh, with a husband and three kids and helping run a business and all those different things. And now she's actually running for office to kind of take away some of the blue dots that we're seeing in a deeply red state. And that's something that we talk about in this podcast, because we're talking about the state of Texas. If you don't live in the state of Texas, maybe you just assume that it's all deep red, no matter what. But the reality on the ground is, is Texas is the number one goal for Democrats in terms of the electoral map. Because if you can make Texas purple and then trend it towards blue, then the Republicans will never win another national election because you're not going to flip California and you're not going to flip New York. We're going to talk about those things, but we're also going to talk about the fact that she's being told by a lot of people she needs to stop talking about her Christian faith whenever she's talking publicly and how she refuses to do that because she has a worldview and her worldview is informed by a Judeo-Christian ethic and how she's not just going to leave that aside because it makes you uncomfortable. And then we get into some other things about, you know, kind of why she, she was running specifically, how the things that were affecting her family directly kind of led to all these things. So it's a really, really fun conversation. So even if you don't live in Dallas County, because again, there are quite a few people, I think it's always in the top three or top five or people that, you know, Dallas is in terms of my audience for the show. And it has been from the beginning, but the reality is, is this is a very, very important race for the entire country because this is a non-establishment Republican. This is just a regular gal that decided to run for office, right? And, and has a really good chance of winning, deciding to actually throw her hat you know, in the fray or get into the fray, I guess it were. And so this is a very, very interesting thing for people that don't even live in Texas. There's so much here. So I don't want to keep her from you too much longer. But before we get into the actual episode today, I do want to make sure that we mention our sponsor for today's show. That's the Upper Room and the King's Council. So this is big time attention to business owners like Lauren Davis and other people like that. Entrepreneurs are soon to be entrepreneurs. So we talked about the Upper Room and King's Council on the show. We've talked about that a lot, but those organizations, their mission is to create wealth and provision for the purpose of establishing God's covenant on earth. And so the way that they do that is by equipping entrepreneurs with the tools and systems and frameworks necessary in order to be able to actually deploy their God-given vision into the marketplace. It is very, very important to put those things into the marketplace, but then specifically the Upper Room Mastermind, if you're in an existing entrepreneur, you've surely heard about these mastermind groups, but a lot of times you're trying to look for like-minded people that are, that are bold and maybe kingdom minded. And you're not going to find that in a lot of other mastermind groups, but that's what the upper room is. So they host virtual and in-person events in every month. And they do that with a focus on business strategies and increasing sustainable revenue and doing that where it's highly customizable for you and your business. Cause every business is a little bit different. I've spoken to their group before. It's really fantastic. If you want more information, 
Go back to episode 355 of this podcast with Riley Meek. He's the founder of these organizations, the Upper Room and the King's Council. So the name of the episode is The King, Entrepreneurship and Money. And in that episode, he basically did something I was not really expecting, which was like, Hey, we want to make sure that the people that listen to the show can actually take advantage of some of these things if they're already existing entrepreneurs or things like that. And so he wanted to give you guys a way to contact him directly. So, and that is where you can text upper room. Okay. So text upper room to 727. 727- Four seven two three eight six zero. So upper room to seven two seven four seven two three eight six zero. That will be in the show notes. Please do not get in a car accident because you're trying to jot that down real quick. But whenever you text upper room to seven two seven four two seven three eight six zero, you will get an application to schedule a one on one with Riley Meek. So not with someone else in his organization or something like that. No, the dude, the dude that started the upper room and the King's Council. So again, the upper room, that's U-P-P-E-R, next word, room, R-O-O-M to 727-472-3860 to schedule your one-on-one with the founder of the upper room and the King's Council, Riley Meek. Guys, I think this would be a tremendous asset for you, but I'm not going to keep Lauren Davis from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. Lauren Davis, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I've been very excited to have you on the show since we met. We met way back at the Uncle Tom 2 premiere down there in Dallas. I'm glad that our paths ran across one another because you are running for office and we'll get way more into that here in a second. But that wasn't always your thing, right? You know, before very recently, running for office didn't even seem like it was a fathomable thing for you and your family, but here you are. So again, we'll get into the race here in a second. But what was Lauren Davis doing uh, before you decided to throw our hat in the ring for uh, an appointment into office? Yes. Well, I was doing anything but politics. I was really, you know, the most average everyday go along to get along, not trying to make any waves. And um, my husband and I started our own business uh, back in 2008 called The Gents Place. It's high-end men's grooming. So we own barbershops across the country. Um, We have a product line and uh, several other companies. We also have a nonprofit that I um, help out with. Once a month, we do a pop-up barbershop. Um, at a homeless shelter here in Dallas. We also do a veteran suit drive every year and then go down to Fort Hood here in Texas um, and help with a soldier recovery unit. And so, and I have three kids. Um, my oldest is 16, middle is 14, and youngest is 12. So we were just in the thick of life, um, raising our children, running our businesses. And um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty average everyday American. Yeah. So you didn't really have a whole lot going on. You were constantly bored. You didn't have anything to do. And I used the word appointment a second ago. So I kind of misspoke. Obviously you're not going for something that you would be appointed to. You are actually running for office. And so you're actually running for Dallas County judge. And so even though the name might imply this, it's not a judicial position. Like you don't need to be a lawyer to, to get that job or have been a judge before any of those types of things. So essentially the way that I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that's essentially the top executive for Dallas County. Okay. And so you're running against an incumbent Clay Jenkins and, you know, we'll get more into all that, but I I guess what, what made you want to run for office just in general, but then specifically why this particular position? Yeah. Well, three things. So the, the two points that caused me to change my life completely around and run for office is one, we were barbershops. So during COVID we were deemed non-essential. So that entire idea of earning a living, putting food on your dinner table, being non-essential um, having to lay off single mothers during that time. That's point one. But that was at the beginning of the pandemic. We were all figuring it out and we agreed mm-hmm. to shut our businesses down. We had literally had police officers show up at one of our barbershops in one of the more conservative suburbs of Dallas, Frisco, Texas, and tell us, close your doors or we're taking your business license. Okay. 
And then second point is when we're two years into the pandemic, so about this time last year, um, the public school system my kids were in uh, ordered by Clay Jenkins to defy Governor Abbott on the masking mandate. So Governor Abbott said no more. Uh, Clay Jenkins, the county executive, right, said, nope, I know better than the governor. And I'm going to I'm going to force masks in public schools, force them. And we just said, no, uh, my my middle son has survived three open heart surgeries. Um, so he has to access uh, more surgeries throughout his life for life saving intervention. And um, just the entire politicization of the medical community was what tipped me over. I mean, it got me. It's 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 the life and safety of, of my child. And so when my kids showed up without a mask at their public school the first day this time last year, they were the only two out of 604 kids. The school went nuts. I mean, nuts. They literally coned my daughter off in PE class, and she had to sit there and watch masked children run around in front of her. And people and all the kids were harassing her. Then they took my son and my daughter, who were in the same school, um, both put them in the library, isolated them, and then eventually built a plexiglass cage around them in the library. Um, where all the kids were still access, accessing the library, so they're on full display. They got no access to their lessons initially, no PE, no art, no music. They couldn't even access the cafeteria. We had our community go unhinged on us. A fifth grade boy goes up to my daughter and shouts in her face, you deserve to die. Parents at the school calling us attempted murders and terrorists. So we could go on and on. But between getting my business shut down and then having a community that once loved me go unhinged and, and be become my enemy and my children's enemy was enough for me to do something about the way our world was going. And so obviously the, the tact you're taking is running for office, but even on the back end, and if we say the C word out loud, then no one will ever hear this episode because it'll get, you know, uh, you ramped yeah. down and, and suppress and all that. But many of the things we're learning about the C word and the V word that was supposed to prevent the spread of the C word mm -hmm is coming out to be basically bogus. We had recently the Fi uh, a representative of Pfizer over in Europe basically talking about, yeah, we never really tested it uh, in terms of like stopping the spread of the C word. So I guess the V word was what exactly? Because typically when you get a V word, it, it keeps you mm -hmm. from getting whatever the ailment is that that you're that you're afraid of getting. And so, as you look back, just generically as a mom, not someone running running for office, but as a mom, as part of a unit of, of a of a family with an you know an intact you know father and mother and kids and the whole nine yards, do you feel validated somewhat in the fact that to where it's like, hey, it's not it's not just about this stupid American flag, freedom, liberty nonsense. It was like, look, these, this doesn't mean anything. These things aren't protecting our children. It if anything, they're hurting them. Um, yes. And that's, it's precisely it. Politics entered medicine and that's where the whole thing got off track. And that's why I'm running for county judge is because this position is over public health and emergency management. And so it's under that power that Clay Jenkins has manipulated and abused in the entire population of Dallas County. He's still pushing the V word on everyone and especially on children. Mm -hmm. um, the county is paying $25 gift cards for it to get, you know, that V word, we'll call it. Yeah. And then um, also the public school system, Dallas ISD was paying kids as young as five years old, direct payments on gift cards, $25 to get that V word. And it literally, you think about a family of five kids, that's a grocery bill. 
Mm-hmm. And they were coercing teachers. Teachers got five hundred. Principals got a thousand dollars. These are where does this money come from? This is ultimately taxpayer money. And and if you have to pay someone and coerce them to get something, it's probably not effective. And they continue to do it. And now you're seeing where it's causing death, a lot of death. And I think about my son, and I'm so glad I questioned it initially. And then all that info came out, and I turned into a no way in the world would I have myself or my kids get that. But my son, he survived three open heart surgeries. Mm -hmm. He's the last person on the planet who should be getting myocarditis. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's abominable that they're doing this. Well, and even recently, there, there seems to be a cabal of people that that are certainly profiting off of this. But even recently, I think it was the uh, the main uh, medical appointee in the state of Florida. I, I can't remember his name or his actual title, but he came out and had a tweet that basically said that he's- oh, Surgeon rec- General of Florida. That's right. That's right. So he basically was suggesting that no children- uh, or he actually ran it young up from men. like, t- yeah, young men all the way up to the age of 39. He does not suggest that they get the V word because of the potential risks that it's having on them. Because that's the one thing for my wife and I, Lauren, when we decided that we weren't just going to hole up in our house until the V word was available, we knew that we could potentially get the C word. We we knew that that was potentially something that happened. Mm-hmm. And then when we, when we got it, it's like, okay, we're going to have to deal with whatever the long-term impl- implications of getting this are. But we didn't want to add something on top of that to where it's like, look, we don't know the long-term implications of the V word either. And then when they casually, when my wife was like three months pregnant, when the nurses casually said, yeah, we should probably get you a uh, V worded. I, I about shot through the roof. I'm like, based on what data are you suggesting that my pregnant wife get this? Because you're just saying it because it's something to say and or something more nefarious that you're potentially profiting off of it. So you have someone like Clay Jenkins there in Dallas County, that is pretending as if he's he cares about the public good and that he just wants everybody to be healthy and, and happy say. and all this. Yeah, and you know, obviously he's the only one that can do that. And mm-hmm. so here's the thing, Lauren, that's interesting to me is you could have just screened from the rooftops. You could have just gone to the school board meeting. You could have just put signs out in your yard. You could have flamed people online. You could have started a podcast. But instead you decided to run for office to boot this joker out of there. Why go mm-hmm. that far? Because you had a bunch of steps before that you could have stopped at. Yeah, well, and I did go to the school board and I did, you know, start advocating and going to different groups and speaking out. And uh, the tipping point was in the primary because I had a primary opponent and I filed on the last day um, because this was not something that, you know, I I had been pre-planned or thinking of. This was purely the chain of events. The person who stood up to take on Clay Jenkins was actually a Democrat. And God put the one person in my life that I would be able to see so clear that was a fake and a phony. And that was the District 1 Dallas ISD school board trustee who I had been fighting, who was over my kid's school, Mm. who was siding with parents calling us attempted murders and terrorists. He's the one who stepped up and said, oh, I'm a Republican. I'll run against Clay Jenkins. I'm against masks. And I said, hold on a second you're the man I've been calling out by name at the school board. You're the person, the school board trustee who motioned and voted for the masking of our children against governor Abbott's orders. No way. And I waited and I waited and no one stood up. And when you're convicted and you don't see anyone standing up, then that means that you, you're the one who was chosen to be out front. So I just heeded the call. Um, You know, if you feel convicted on your heart, and you don't act, that's just something I didn't want to feel that regret for the rest of my life, that I was convicted in my heart to do something and I didn't do anything about it. 
Well, I appreciate you you throwing your hat in the ring because that does take a certain level of courage. Again, when people start talking about courage, they're like, is it really the same as running into a burning building? No, running for office is not the same as running into a burning building mm-hmm. to save a cat or a person. But yeah, you know, we get it. Like it does. Take it is running to into that. something. I don't know what yet. I'm still figuring that out. This well, and you're putting your life out world. there. Yeah, it's certainly yeah. an insane word world. And now you've got dorks on Twitter that their entire life somehow is centered around making your life miserable and the life of your mm-hmm. husband and your children miserable. That's their entire life because they're miserable losers. But the thing that's going to be interesting is like we keep saying Dallas County. And by that, yes, we do mean Dallas, Texas. You know, we don't mean like yeah. Dallas, Washington, if there's another Dallas here in the United States. <laughs> so that's going to strike some people, Lauren, that listen to the show that, you know, live not in Texas or that live in, in Canada or Australia or the UK. We, we love our listeners all around the world. But when they hear Texas, they think red state. They think American flags. They think four-wheel drive pickups. They think whiskey and, you know, chewing tobacco and the Dallas Cowboys. And that, that's what they think of, right? And they think it's red, 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 super red, as red as it could possibly get. Even when they hear people say that there are blue dots in Texas, like Austin or San Antonio or Houston or Dallas, it doesn't always compute because they're like, well, Texas is always red. It's always going to be red. So talk to me a little bit about that perception because a guy like Clay Jenkins or anyone that's of his ilk, they don't really come to power if it's just flat out red, like the state of Oklahoma where I live or like Mississippi or Alabama or somewhere like that. So kind of explain that reality of what's going on on the ground in this supposedly red state. Yes. Yes, it's a major 911 emergency here in Texas. We are we are far from solid red. We are we are turning purple by the minute. It's like a it's like a slow bleed into all parts of our communities. We have a lot of people escaping uh, the edges of our country coming in here and mixing in their um, failed policies and beliefs into our political system. You know, we have AG race, we have a governor's race. Um, this year, this cycle, and um, it, it, they are not just for sure. Those are races. You know, we have Beto trying to come in. Clay Jenkins is riding off Beto's coattail. Mm. There is an there is a concerted effort to turn Texas, and we are feeling that pressure. So this is this is a a battle for the anchor of our entire country. Right, Texas has enough electoral votes to swing an election for all of time to come. And the if you look at our how our system's built, right? We have our democratic republic. So we're, you know, accumulation of states and the federal government is currently constantly attacking our states' rights constantly. So AG Paxton has been a warrior in fighting. I mean, he's constantly having to sue the federal government because the federal government is constantly trying to come into Texas and, and rule from a central location, right? And, and that's not how our country was set up. We left that long time ago. And our governor's constantly under attack, our borders under attack. I mean, the, Texas is just straight under attack from whatever this is that hates America. I, you know, people call it all different things. It's the isms, the ISM Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the end of it, name it. It's there's, there's a flavor of it, but what it is, it's anti-American and it's the direct assault is happening in Texas. So fortifying our state, fortifying our AG governor, which we should pull that out, but we cannot take it for granted. But then next in line are county judges. There's 254 in the state of Texas and they are the leadership there's nothing in leadership between the governor and the county judge. And then we've seen in COVID with Clay Jenkins, what happens when they defy, it creates total chaos. 
So we really, really have to fortify these big cities with a, with a good, solid, conservative county judge. Well, and, and Texas is the bullseye because everyone knows exactly what you said, because if you flip Texas, then you flip the entire country because everyone likes to talk about how California used to be red. California is not coming back unless the rapture happens, right? You know, New York's yeah. not coming back. And so you have to have Texas. You have to have Florida. You have to have all of these other population centers. And what a lot of Republicans don't realize, especially when you start talking about, you know, large candidates on the national scale, it's like, look, Republicans don't have the opportunity to split votes. Look at what happened with George HW and with Ross Perot back in the day. Ross Perot pulled a bunch of people out of HW's camp and that led to Bill Clinton being president, which led to a bunch of crazy things happening for this country. So if you have a third party candidate or a libertarian candidate that pops up, that's only going to take away from Republican votes because obviously the overwhelming amount of people that are registered to vote in the United States are registered Democrats. It's whether or not they show up, but Republicans just have to vote no matter what. But if you can flip Texas and look, beta almost beat Ted Cruz in the senatorial race. No one likes to talk about that because Beto is one of the least impressive human beings on planet Earth. But it's like, look, we, you were really, really close to having a blue senator and a red senator representing the state of Texas. And so I, I guess the thing that I want to talk to you about, and this is from a macro sense, so this still applies to Dallas County and the race, but what you're doing, are you looking at this as potentially a... I don't know, like a playbook for other people around the country, for people in solidly red states that maybe are trying to be infiltrated by what the Democratic Party is trying to do or what leftists or, or, you know, people that are all those isms. So maybe they're 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 into socialism or Marxism or communism and they're just going to try to, you know, basically tear the system down randomly across the country. Is that kind of how you see this or are you do you just focus narrowly on Dallas County Judge? No, this is a national race through and through. You know, if someone like me, an everyday citizen, a mom with school-age children at home, a business owner can step up and successfully win this race and show the country what good governance looks like, it trailblazes the way for others to come. And we will average up and better our candidate pool because historically people don't want to mess with this. I mean, hmm. we get slammed every day. I get told what I should do every day. I mean, this is not for the faint of heart, but it's just worth it. And so showing people how worth it it is and how possible it is and it can be done, right? I think of, I think, uh, I always forget his name. I think it was George Banneker with the four minute mile, um, you know, broke that record and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. everyone else breaks it. We had Trump and then Glenn Youngkin, and then you have all these school boards and local elections being focused on. The battleground truly is in the primary. Um, we need to start focusing on our primaries because that's where our candidates are picked. And historically, we don't participate in primaries. So this elite ruling class is just picking people for us. So it's a selection process, not an election process. And I experienced that here. So we need to be recruiting our neighbors and ourselves to step up and serve in this capacity, right? Maybe I'm not fit to go into the military and serve overseas or what have you, but I'm certainly fit um, to participate and run in our local elections. And so I just feel like this will give a calling to all women um, and men um, like myself who are just everyday citizens wanting to save our America. 
Well, and that was what it was meant to be. It was supposed to be everyday citizens. It wasn't supposed to be people that wanted to get into Congress or get into elected position and that be their job. It was like, no, you have a job, you have a business. And when Roger Bannister, it was, it was Roger Bannister that first ran Roger the four Bannister. minute mile. Yeah. <clears throat> like whenever he did that for the first time, like he broke a mental block for people. It was never a physical block. It was always a mental block because I got to be honest, I've been asked about running for office before actually quite a bit, um, you know, over my you know career. And since I've been an adult, and I, it's never appealed to me because I'm like, I have to be too honest. I have to say my actual opinion. And whenever you're running for office, you're constantly having to calculate. And then you're, you're dinged if you've changed your position on something, but it's like, don't, don't you want that American public? Like when somebody sees new data or new arguments and they get swayed to that position, wouldn't you rather have somebody that has some of those convictions? Cause it's not like we're talking about somebody swaying you, you know, to pretend like what's growing inside the belly of a pregnant woman is not a baby. Like it's potentially something else. Like there are certain things that are just standard that are in stone, but then there are other things that you can be swayed on. So I guess talk to me a little bit about that because you've been asked your position on a million different things. And if you come out mealy mouthed or kind of wishy-washy, or something like that. Oh, that's a campaign ad, you know, for somebody else like, oh, Lauren doesn't have a fully fledged opinion on this super obscure part of, of American policy of some kind. So talk to me a little bit about some of the positions that you've had to take and how you kind of formulate your arguments. Yeah. So I've been encouraging people to stop asking their politicians or people running for office to lie to them. Everyone says, tell me three things, three things you're going to do. And you know, give me your three, 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 three. And I said, I just am not going to do that. I said, those, you can have the right answer to the wrong questions and that'll lead you down a road. And I think that's where we're at in politics. You need to ask me what battles I fought prior to running for office. Uh, What does my character and integrity look like? Um, Also, do I have a biblical worldview? You know, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of people that say, talk about Jesus less, talk about your faith less. And I'm like, I can't do that. I have a biblical worldview. I came by it not because someone told me to have it because life led me that direction. I was raised by atheists. I have a whole testimony of my own. But what, why my biblical worldview matters to you and to anybody, what, no matter where your faith lies, is that I ultimately know where outcomes lie, and that's in God. And we have an epidemic of humans believing they can control other humans' outcomes. And so they construct policies and programs, um, especially in the school system. And in our, um, say, homeless solutions and things, thinking that they can truly manipulate an outcome. And it's just not possible. Outcomes are for God, between the person and God. That's, that's the outcomes. But we can control our inputs. And so I promise to people, my one promise is that I will always maintain my biblical worldview in office because it's going to be hard. And when push comes to shove and the next evil thing comes across our world that causes our public leaders to, to make big decisions, no matter how close evil gets up in my face, I will never waver. I will never be tempted to take your rights away. Right? We are self-governing people, and that comes from a biblical worldview. That comes from our founding. And so that's the most important thing because then you can predict, not even knowing me, you can predict my decision-making Right when push comes to shove on things. It matters, and it not matters in a way that I'm trying to push my faith onto somebody else, but that you know where I stand and my foundation, and that's all that we should care about. What is your foundation? All these little, what are you going to do this? Tell me about that. This, all these little things, just get to the core. And so that's that's how I formulate. I've been asked about all kinds of things, and I just say I have a biblical worldview. You you tell me how you think. I'll decide. 
Well, and the funny thing about that, Lauren, is the moment you start talking about running for office or being in office and you talk about God or Jesus or the Bible or any of those types of things, the new buzz phrase or buzzword is Christian nationalist. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they're, they're a Christian nationalist. I, I'm super tempted. I keep saying this. I'm just going to make sure it's to say Christian nationalist and I'll probably sell a ton of them because it's like so many people are scared of that label, but everybody has a worldview. Everybody operates a particular worldview and you cannot expect them to set that worldview aside whenever they come into office, right? And so these people that want you to not talk about Jesus, guess what? They have a secular worldview. They have a humanist worldview and they're bringing that with them when they're, you know, uh, going and, you know, advocating for particular laws or, or voting on legislation or something like that. So talk to me a little bit more about that because the expectation is that, okay, Stop talking about Jesus so much. That's really awkward. We we don't really we don't really know if he even existed. It's all this other kind of weird nonsense stuff that's in the ethereal that you're trying to bring down to ground level. But just talk to me a little a little bit more about that because I think that's a very very important point that you're making. You have to keep that as a part of what you're doing because where do we get the value of human life from? That doesn't come from Darwin. That doesn't come from Karl Marx. That comes from a Judeo Christian ethic and foundation that leads us to those types of things. But now I feel like I'm preaching. You go ahead. No, no, but that's all all very true. And Jesus was our most perfect example, whether people believe he was the son of God or not. He was the most perfect example. He didn't need a sign outside of his home that says, in this home, we believe, and then fill in the blank. He just was. He just went in the center of where people needed him, and he was him. And why people have hate that is a perversion and that is evil infiltrating into what the truth is. And it comes in so many forms. It's such a current in our culture. God has been taken out of our schools. There's no reading the Bible anymore in school. And I've had my children go, my three children go from public school to Christian schools now. And they are so happy. In their Christian school, they don't have locks on the locker. My son, my oldest son, he's a sophomore. Uh, Last year when he switched from his public school into his um, private school, in which, look, I wanted to be in the public school. I did not want to sign up for three kids in private school. That was not in our budget. Like we're Mm -hmm. not just flush with cash where that was just an easy decision. That was a sacrifice um, because it was forced on us. And my son got there and he's going, this is so weird. Everyone's being so nice. Um, I don't have to put a lock on my locker. And that's a biblical worldview that gives you everything you need to know. Our, our world would be just a little kinder and a little softer and better if we could just maintain that. We wouldn't have crime going through the roof. We wouldn't have leaders and teachers excusing horrible behavior, criminal behavior. We wouldn't have people lowering the bar. Right? The biblical worldview orders everything, it puts it in order. It, it, helps you frame the horrible things in life because we are a fallen society and there is evil and it is real. It helps you place that. It causes peace and harmony inside your heart. We have kids committing suicide at an astronomical rate because they've been untethered from their foundation of truth. And it's unfair to lead these children astray. Since my kids have been in Christian schools, they've come to me each individually and in one form or fashion said they are more connected to God. This is the happiest they've been. This is the most content they've been. And we've had mental health crisis in our family with our children. I've been on suicide watch with one of my children 
I understand. I come from a family of deep mental illness and addiction. My dad was an alcoholic. He died from his addiction. I've seen the inside. And the only way through is through Christ. And that if that's offensive to people, then so be it. But their system isn't working. It's collapsing our society. So I just say, proof is in, in the fruit. And we've been doing it their way, and it's not working. So I'm asking for a restoration to the way our founding fathers had it. Well, and the gospel is offensive because it's counter to everything we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to operate in modernity, whereas it's all about ourselves. Narcissism is a good thing. And I tell people all the time, this is a drum I've been beating for a while. It's like, why, are you, why do you still have your kids in the government-run schools and you expect them not to come out like government minions, right? So vetted private Christian school or homeschool. It's like, if you actually care about those types of things, and again, that's why I say vetted, because there are schools out there that are terrible that have a cross in the lobby. And so again, you know, without getting off into a different diatribe. So one thing that I, that I couldn't find, cause I know we're wrapping to a close cause you got several more of these to do today is the polling. What, what do things look like right now? Because I couldn't really find stuff uh, on that specific race or at least stuff that I trusted. So where, where are you right now in the race? Yes, we'll be pulling again here soon, but our internal poll said if the message gets out that I win decisively. So people just have to know I exist. I'm an unknown, right? I've never been in politics before. This man made his career off of being on TV, touting all his, you know, um, public health policies, we'll call them, between Ebola and then the current crisis. Um, so we, our goal is just to get the message out. We've been hanging banners um, on, on highways saying no more politicians, Lauren Davis running against Clay Jenkins. We're getting school buses honking, we're getting ambulances honking. I got an endorsement from the Dallas police association. So the word's getting out and, and we win decisively and Dallas County is not as blue as people would say a generic ballot says we're 43% Republican, 47% Democrat, 10% undecided. So plus four Dem that's in within the margin of, of error. It's certainly within the margin of error. And obviously we see tons of independents that are leaning towards the Republican party right now. And basically every generic ballot that we see across the country, because obviously they've seen, and people are like, oh, in the first two years of Joe Biden, no, no, no. In the first few months of the Biden administration, we, we were able to see some of the degradation that, that he was going to cause. We couldn't fathom how bad it was going to get, but then obviously we're seeing it right now. So, um, so obviously the election's coming up here on November the 8th and that's yeah. how that people can go out. I think most people know by now, if you're not registered to vote, you need to go out and get registered to vote. You, so you can take care of business on November the 8th. If you need to vote early for whatever reason or something like that, or do your absentee ballot, make sure you get all that stuff squared away. Um, we've got your website that we'll put in the show notes and all those types of things. But this is just kind of your final uh, plea to our audience. Again, a lot of people that live in Dallas County listen to this show. So why should they vote for you? And then obviously, if they want to help, if anybody wants to help you in your race, how can they do that? Yes, I would say the number one reason to vote for me is because I am not a career politician. A career politician is someone who factors their political career into their decision making for the people. And then you no longer represent the people you represent yourself. I am committed to restoring this position back to the small government and serving the people as it should. And that, that crosses party lines. This is not a partisan race um, in its function. It is on the ticket, but in its function, it just needs to serve the people. So that's my commitment. Um, and then anything you can do to help donations, block walking, vote November 8th. I encourage people to vote on election day. Um, it's the best day to vote. So November 8th, um, find your polling place, put it in your calendar. 
and get everyone in your sphere of influence to go out and vote. This is not an election um, that we can sit by and and just know if I can do it, you can do it. First sign in my yard was my sign. First block walking I did was for me. I never voted in midterms before, and now here I am on the ticket. So we can do this, and, and we're so hopeful. All right, guys, the website is davis for dallas That's Davis and the number four, Dallas.com, davis for dallascom But that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Nope, that's great. I appreciate the platform. Thank you so much. Lauren Davis, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Lauren Davis. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So again, just a reminder, text UPPER ROOM, that's UPPER ROOM, to 727-472-3860, 727-472-3860 to get an application to schedule your one-on-one with Riley Meek of the UPPER ROOM and the King's Council. And the only link we have for you today is a link to Lauren Davis's website. That is davis4dallas.com so you guys can check more Uh, more about her out there and check it out and see what you can do to support her. Everything, you can get that information there. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. Judah.